Last week I preached um, on the sixth day and what happened on the sixth day. We are doing a series entitled, It is Finished. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Everybody repeat after me. It is finished. Amen. The devil is under our feet because it is finished. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. I have a word that I'm going to continue on with this series today, and it's called The World Gone Topsy-Turvy. And uh, <clears throat> uh, topsy-turvy, according to the Century Dictionary, means turned upside down, upset, confused, disordered, chaotic, in reverse of the natural order. That's powerful, in reverse of the natural order. So if there was meant to be a natural order that God had preordained, this is in reverse of the natural order. In a state of confusion or chaos, formerly sometimes followed by down or upside down. Uh, this morning I'm going to be preaching or sharing on a world gone topsy-turvy. I believe that Jesus Christ came to break every curse for every one of us if we are born again and washed by the blood of Jesus. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, want to, I want to just share something with you that I felt that the Lord was speaking to me prophetically on Wednesday earlier this week. I was in my car. I was driving. I was meditating on the Lord. And uh, God gave me a word that he told me to share here Sunday morning. And that word is that <clears throat> in the natural world, things are going to continue to get topsy-turvy. In the natural world, things are continued to be difficult. But God is the God of those that are saved. Can I get an agreement? The kingdom of darkness will go nuts. The kingdom of darkness will go wild. I believe, and I've said months and months and months ago, that in one of the prayer meetings, the Lord showed me that we're entering a season of judgment and harvest. And for those who have been rebellious, and those that have been unrepentant, and for those that are not walking with the Lord, the earth will experience a, a period or a season of judgment. Hardship is going to come. We are facing some of those things now. But I believe that the Lord showed me that for the church, those that are truly walking with the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are protected in every way. Can I get an agreement here? If you believe, we are protected. You know, we sang a new song, and I think the chorus said, the wind has blown and something else has happened but uh, we have stood still in the Lord. And so the reality is that the enemy uh, will continue to bring confusion, conflict, disturbance. And as you see things continue in this vein, as we go from one potential crisis to another, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God has seen it all. 
He knows it all, and he has not forgotten his promises to his sons and his daughters. Amen. You know, sometimes, and, and, and I felt the Lord tell me this as well, sometimes we interpret everything politically. And uh, on that note, the Spirit of the Lord, I believe, said to me, even if there is a change of office, if you think everything's going to be right when there's going to be a change of office, no, it isn't. There are things that are set in motion that are the result of man's sin. There are things that are set in motion because of the result of man's sin. And irrespective of party, and I don't want to make this a political thing, I just want to bring the word of the Lord. Sometimes we put our hope in a particular political government. I'm all for voting, and I'm all for voting according to biblical principles. We want to uh, instate uh, decrees and laws that line up with God's word. We have an awesome responsibility as American citizens. I'm not speaking against your right to vote. By all means, vote, but by all means, check out every policy and line it up with the word of God. But too often, we look to the right party being in the White House to make the difference. I am telling you, and I believe I am telling you by the Spirit of the Lord, church, understand the time and the season we are in. There will continue to be difficulties. There will continue to be groanings, so to speak. In Romans, it says that the earth is groaning in anxious expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. While the earth is having a visitation of trials and of uh, 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 discomfort and hardship, I want you to understand from the word of God and I want you to understand from the spirit of the Lord that God is with us and God is for us and God is in us. Listen, even David wrote in the Psalms, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes there are difficult seasons, but even in the valley of the shadow of death, the man of God, the woman of God can feel safe because they understand the heart of God and the nature of God and the character of God. Can I get an agreement? Sometimes we get more political than we get spiritual. And I think we need to be way more spiritual than political because our ultimate answer is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an agreement? So that's the prophetic word that I felt the Lord put on my heart to share. He didn't tell me this based on what Elon Musk has had to say, or that the fact that the White House has acknowledged that we are in a recession. These comments aren't coming out of me viewing political uh, media or statements. I was actually meditating on the Lord. I was actually listening to another preacher as I was traveling. And as I meditated on the Lord, this word came deep into my spirit. It has stayed with me. Saturday morning in the prayer meeting, I asked those that were here to pray 
to pray and agree with me, the Bible says to test everything. I said, I feel strongly that the Lord has put this on me, but agree with me that if it's not of the Lord, it'll lift. But that if it is of the Lord, it'll stay with me. But more than that, that people will hear the faith in the message. God is with us. God is for us. Though we walk through difficult times, and even if they get more difficult, God is not a debtor to the economy of the world. Hello? He never took a loan from China. He never took a, a loan from the Bank of America. God is no man's debtor. God is in control. And you may see things get even more topsy-turvy. I want you to put your heart, your head, and your nose into the Word of God and read the promises of God. Because the promises of God are yes and amen. They're ours. They're ours. The earth is reeling under a curse. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the earth is groaning in anxious expectation, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. It's time for us as sons of God to get the revelation that we are sons of God. And what's happening in the earth doesn't have to happen to us. We will walk through the storm. We will ride the waves. We will overcome and get to the other side. We will not be burned in the fire. We will not be uh, pushed out of the race. No, the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith is writing our story, and he is in absolute control, and he's got our back. Come on, turn to somebody and say, God's got my back. Absolutely, God's got my back. Absolutely. So in, uh, <clears throat> in keeping with this here message, a world gone topsy-turvy, I just uh, had... Uh, explained to you or gave you a definition, and I know this isn't a term that we use a lot, topsy-turvy. How many of you have heard this expression before? Can I, you know, the funny thing is, having lived 29 years in Australia, often I don't know what's an Australian expression anymore or what's an American expression. And so when I was uh, this phrase came to me as I was preparing my message. I had to actually look it up online to see that if I used this expression in church, whether or not the auditorium would fill, be filled with just blank stares or if people would actually understand what I'm saying. I want to show you a slide. In Bible college, one of, one of the very early courses that we do or subjects that we tackle in year one, it's called chain of command. I want to share some principles with you that are very, very important. And so if we could go to uh, the first slide, to <clears throat> Tony, um, before the fall. And before the fall, when God created man, last week I made it very clear, I believe, from Scripture, that God created man on the sixth day. And why the sixth day? because he brought man into a world that was finished. As we study scripture, we see that it, the, 
the vegetation was watered from the ground up. Springs of living water just fed the plant life. And uh, God put man basically in a garden that was autonomous. And he told man, I want you to rule it on my behalf. And so before the fall, we have God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And next in that chain of command was man. God had placed him here as his vice regent. A vice regent is somebody who stands as a representative of the ultimate authority and they rule and they govern on behalf of that ultimate authority. So we, Adam, before the fall, was put on earth as God's vice regent, as God's representative on the earth. And God gave Adam the authority to rule. And the earth was under his jurisdiction. And so was the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness before the fall was under Adam and Eve's jurisdiction. Now we're going to go to slide, the next slide. And we're going to see a few scriptures here. I understand that that writing might be a little bit small for you to see from the back. And those of you who are taking notes, you're more than welcome if you want to take a snapshot of the screen. I find sometimes that's the best way for me to have notes, all right? I take a picture uh, when I'm at a conference or a convention. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. In the Hebrew language, the word there for God is Elohim. Elohim is God's name it is used most of the time, but not all of the time throughout the Old Testament. What is very unique about Elohim is that in the, in the Hebrew, it is a plural sense of God. For example, I could have here in front of you today, I could pick up one grape, or I could have a bunch of grapes. A bunch. How many bunches would I have? One bunch, many grapes. And so uh, you have a singular grape, but then you also have a singular bunch, but it's numerous grapes. And so this word Elohim is God, but in a plural sense. And right from the beginning of Scripture, we see that God is introducing himself as a triune being. Every person sitting here has a physical body. Some of us like our physical body. Some of us want to change our physical body. All right? Every one of us has a soul. We have personality. We have character. And every one of us has a spirit, which is very separate and distinct from our soul. We are spirit, soul, and body. We are a triune being. God says, let us make man in our image. He wasn't talking to the angels. Angels have no role in the creative process. God is talking about the creative process. God the Father says to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. Everybody with me? Absolutely. And so right from Genesis 1, we see the head of all the earth is God, Elohim. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. If you read Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, He rules over all 
the earth. Or in fact, he rules over all, more than just the earth. He, Elohim, rules over all. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. Everybody repeat the word dominion. That's authority. That's power. That's control. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God gave man dominion, and here we are in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If we can go back to the slide, uh, verse 26, it says, God said, let him have dominion over all the earth, and the emphasis is on the word all, coal, and it means the whole thing, the whole thing. I want man to have dominion over all of the whole earth, everything that's involved in the structure of the earth. Total control, total dominion. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he, he says all the earth, and the word earth is eretz. Eretz, meaning the physical earth, the ground, but also the world. Now what's really interesting is that the word earth is used twice in verse 26. But there are two different Hebrew words used each time. One is Eretz, which means the earth as a whole, the uh, ground, the world. And uh, the second word, which isn't on the screen, is the word Ordama, Ordama, and it means the physical soil. Now, there's a reason for a difference. When God said, let him have authority over everything that creeps on the earth, he said, over the physical soil, the animals that touch the ground, that are on the ground. But when he said, let man have dominion over the earth, and that includes the whole world, it also includes the underworld. That word, Eretz, throughout the Hebrew scriptures is sometimes used to signify Sheol, the place of the departed spirits and the dead. Everybody understand the difference? So here in this verse, the word earth is used two times. The first time it is Eretz, and it means the earth as a globe, but also the earth as a world. And the second time the word earth is used, Odama, uh, that's reference number 127, Adam was taken out of Adama, and so the Hebrew word for Adam is a derivative of Adama. He was taken from the soil, reference number 120. Okay, so my point is, and it's an important point, God says he distinguishes between the physical dirt of the earth 
And he distinguishes that from something that is greater than just the physical dirt. He says, I am putting man in charge of the whole earth. I am putting man in charge of the whole world, which includes even the supernatural powers of darkness. The Bible talks about and refers to Sheol being in the center of the earth. And so man was put in a garden that was totally completed, totally finished, totally self-sufficient, and God put him in there to maintain divine order. We think of life on earth, and we think of a garden, and we think of everything we have to do to maintain it, to work it, and how at times it doesn't always agree with us. How many of you have ever tried growing vegetables out here in Florida? I have found that whenever I try to grow tomatoes or something like that, it's as if I'm planting a harvest for the bugs. <laughs> so this year, uh, I was at a restaurant, and they brought out, and they made in front of us fresh mozzarella. Anybody like mozzarella? Fresh mozzarella, just it just kills what you buy in the store. And so they made it in the hot water in front of us and they're stretching it and they're balling it up and they brought out these um, hybrid tomatoes. They are, is hybrid the right word? Heirloom, thank you. Heirloom tomatoes. Heirloom tomatoes are grown from the seeds before they were doctored or re-engineered genetically. And so they are the very original tomatoes before science put their hands on it and tried to modify them. It was so tasty. Here we are eating fresh mozzarella and heirloom tomatoes. So I got so excited after that visit to the restaurant, I went down to Lowe's here and I thought, I am going to beat the bugs in Florida. I have a small lanai, and it's all screened in, very small lanai, and I bought six heirloom tomato plants, and I said to Pastor Stephen, my son-in-law, I said, Steve, we're going to have our own heirloom tomatoes, and we'll make some fresh mozzarella, and we will have a repeat of what we experienced at that restaurant. So here are my six plants in the lanai, the bugs can't get to them. Yay. The plants are growing. And they grew, and they grew. And I had to stake them up because they were reaching the ceiling of the lanai. You know how many tomatoes I got? One and a half. It dawned on me, it needs the bugs to pollinate. And so I barely got any fruit. I got one tomato that big, and I have a green one about that big, and that was it. Now, I will say, the one red tomato that I harvested, the flavor was incredible. We don't realize what we've lost after science put its hand on nature. The flavor is so much better. But my point here is that man... When God put him on the earth, it was a self-sustaining environment. It was perfect. He didn't have to put insecticide on the plants to keep the bugs off it. Why? Because there was divine order.
You ever noticed in Genesis that Adam, and he named all the animals of the field? Did you ever notice that God said that he gave the vegetation as plant, uh, the plants to man to eat and to the animals as well? Death didn't exist in this divine order. Death, God told Adam and warned him, death will come if you disobey me and you eat from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you would like to go back to a world where there's only the knowledge of good? Absolutely. We have seen a world that has gone topsy-turvy. God had a divine order. That divine order was God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Then man. He put man as his ambassador. He put man as his vice regent to rule over the earth on God's behalf. The earth was under man's dominion, and so was the kingdom of darkness. Now the next word in, that we're going to look at very quickly is Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, two verses later. And God puts him in that garden to tend it. And he says, I want you to subdue the earth. And I, I mentioned this briefly last week. But the Hebrew word subdue means keep it under your control. So we see there are two hints in chapter 1 that there's a demonic world and that that demonic world was going to challenge Adam. How do we see that? By God using two different words that are translated for earth. One means the physical dirt. Out of the earth, God formed the man, Adama. Earth you were, and to the earth you will return, Adama. But God puts man in the garden and says, I want you to have authority and I want you to rule over the whole earth, edits, the globe, the space around it, and even the underground of the earth, signifying the spirits of fallen angels who are now imprisoned in hell. Everybody hearing me? So two separate words, very distinct, very separate in their meaning, and very clearly separate. Even as these two words are used throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you will see that Eretz always speaks of the bigger picture, the earth as a world, and everything around that world, and Adama is always... Uh, uh, they buried him in the earth, Adama, in the soil. Two separations. We see from that that there was another entity. There was another spiritual force. There was another spiritual power. We see from the word subdue that God was letting Adam know that there would be a challenge to his position. How many of you believe that God would have well versed Adam in what he was about to face. Absolutely. God gave him an instruction manual. God walked with him. God talked with him. God laid it all out. God let Adam know someone would contend for his place and for his position. Now, why would that be? 
The Bible teaches us when we read about the fall of Lucifer that he once existed on the earth. He was once in the Garden of Eden and he was once on God's holy mountain. That same holy mountain is the mountain of the Lord that in the book of Revelation, the Bible says the holy mountain, the new Jerusalem, will come back down to earth. When you read Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, God walked on the earth with mankind. But once man sinned, sin created a separation from God and man, and God is in the heavens, but in the book of Revelation, at the restoration of all things. How many of you know this earth is going to be made new again? God's going to bring it back to where it should have been. If you're happy about that, give him a big yippee. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And when he does his Jerusalem, that mountain, the Bible prophesies and says it'll be the tallest mountain in the world. In the Old Testament, it says it. The prophets declare, and the mountain of Jerusalem will be the highest in the world. There are mountains in Jerusalem, and they're nowhere close to the highest. But in the book of Revelation, we see the new Jerusalem will be 1,500 miles high, long, and wide. In other words, the city of God that's going to come down out of heaven will pierce the atmosphere. And God will fill the first, the second, and the third heavens. There is a chasm now. Principalities of darkness rule in the atmosphere over the earth. But they didn't at creation. There were prisoners in the belly of hell. And God told Adam, I want you to rule over the edets, the whole world. The whole structure, even the underworld, I give you authority and I want you to maintain that authority because someone's coming to challenge you for it. Think about this. We know from scripture that just before Lucifer fell, in his heart, he had an attitude, he had an angst, he had a chip on his shoulder, he had a grudge, he had a complaint. He wanted to be above God. He was a created being. He wanted to be above God. Once he was cast down to the earth, and Jesus said, you were cast down to the earth. And the thing that was subject to him in the beginning, and the thing from which he drew wealth and riches and channeled them up into the presence of God, and the thing that he wanted to master and master the creator of all things, he became a slave to. Lucifer became enslaved by the earth and Sheol, the Bible tells us, is beneath us. It's in the center of the earth. That's what the Bible indicates. And when God says to Adam, keep the herets under your control, he was talking about the spirit world as well. And that spirit being came and he contested Adam for his authority. He came and he contested Adam because he wanted to rule the earth. It's very interesting. Brian, the Bible says that even David, King David exclaimed, 
You've created mankind lower than angels, and yet it was to mankind that you carved out of the earth that you crowned with glory and honor. If Lucifer wanted to be greater than God, how many of you think he was watching on creation day? How many of you think he might have been watching? How many of you think that as God carved out and molded some of the Adama to create an Adam, which in the Hebrews just speaks of mankind in general. And God says, now we're going to vest our character in this being. And we're going to crown him with glory. And we're going to give him authority. We're going to give him power. We're going to make him a representative of us. He will be our ambassador. Lucifer's watching this from his fallen position. Do you think there was envy in his heart? Do you think there was hate in his heart? Do you think there was a malicious plan brewing in his belly? Absolutely. And so as God is creating man out of the substance of Adama, and he makes the first Adam, the first man, and he starts breathing and dressing this creation with glory, with nobility, with the character and the likeness of God, with the spirit of God. And as Lucifer's watching this creature being crowned into the likeness of God, all the envy, all the jealousy, all the hate, all the prejudice started to rise up. By the way, just so that you know, prejudice has its roots in Lucifer's fall. We won't be a prejudiced people. All men were created in God's image and we will honor God by loving all men. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. Yeah, give the Lord a clap. So in verse 26, two words are used for the earth one speaking of the literal soil, the second speaking of something far more mysterious, something far more grandiose, something far more all-encompassing. And he says, I'm putting you in charge of all the earth, coal, the word K-O-L-E, all the earth, everything in this creation, even the underworld, amen. So, we're going to move on from that, and uh, <clears throat> I want to show you what happened after the fall. Now, after the fall, we're going to go to the next slide. We have God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and now we have the kingdom of darkness. How do we know that? Jesus said, the prince of this world, the God of this world. The Bible talks about fallen demons being principalities. They rule sections or areas of nations, and they are principalities. They're like governors under Lucifer himself. And so Paul talks about we, have, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and rulers and principalities. How many of you here today know you have authority in Jesus' name over all of those entities? But they didn't used to rule the earth. Adam did. 
God's intention was that man created in his image would not be a subject of the earth, but the earth would be subject to man. And ever since the fall, the kingdom of darkness has ruled in the atmosphere around the earth, and they have ruled the earth, and they have ruled man as well. Let's go to the next slide. And so technically, if I were to redo this here slide, I would actually put man under the earth because we are now subject to the earth. Where the earth was subject to us, everything went topsy-turvy. From God's divine order, everything went to demonic disorder. You know, if you pull a car engine apart and put it back together and leave some of the parts out, it's not going to work the way it was created to work. And God had a divine order. And the moment you disrupt that divine order, you will always have disorder. I preach principles here Sunday after Sunday. I preach principles. Why? Principles reveal divine order, divine structure. So many times in our lives, because we live in a world that is so influenced by media, by culture, by attitude, by teachings that are not congruent, they don't line up with the word of God, we end up with a mind that is contrary to the principles of God's word. We teach principles because when we live within the principles of God, God's divine order will constantly be around us. But as born-again men and women, if we deliberately choose to break God's principles, we give access to the demonic world into our world. You see, I live in this world, but I'm not of it. I'm in this world, but I'm not ruled by the kingdom of darkness. You're not ruled by the kingdom of darkness. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, this is good stuff. Listen. Ask them, are you taking notes? Take a picture of the screen. We are in the world, but not of the world. Why aren't we of the world? Because the kingdom of darkness that rules the world at the moment doesn't rule Rob Scarallo, and it doesn't rule any Christian who is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're in the world, but not of it. The world governing system doesn't govern us. This is how God created man to be. His crowning glory, his splendor, filled with his glory, filled with his honor. But at the fall, when Adam disobeyed the word of the Lord, and he obeyed the word of the enemy, Satan became the prince of darkness, the ruler over the earth, and the earth became subject to him, and man became subject to to the earth. You see, after the fall, a curse of hardship, a curse of poverty, a curse of the earth's dominion was pronounced over man because of his disobedience. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, this is what God says to Adam after 
Adam fell. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. The problem wasn't that he listened to his wife. Men, it would behoove you sometimes to listen to your wife. The problem is, she was in error. Adam was there. How many of you know that when the serpent was talking to Eve, Adam was present? And the first sin was Adam's sin because he was supposed to be her covering. As far as we know from Scripture, when God gave Adam the lowdown, it's not till chapter 2 that we see that he created Eve out of his rib. In chapter 1, God made it very clear to Adam, Kabash, keep this thing under your control. But as far as we know and as far as we understand, Eve, who was meant to walk alongside of him, Adam was her covering and her protector. And the serpent went to Eve and Adam is standing there and you can read it in Scripture. I know that many times when I teach this, I taught this recently to a, a, a school staff, and all the staff were amazed. Everyone pulled their Bibles out to prove me wrong. But when Lucifer was talking to Eve, Adam was standing right there, and she took a bite and she handed it to her husband. Now, I've said it many times in this church, and I teach it in Bible school when I go through chain of command that Adam forfeited his position right then and there. The moment Lucifer wanted to talk to his wife, Adam should have stood up and been the priest of his house, and he should have taken authority, and he should have said, you're not touching my lady. You're not messing with my, my girl. Get back to hell where you belong. This is my bride. This is my princess. I'm going to protect her. I am covering her. But Adam failed to be his covering. And whenever I preach on this, whenever I teach on this, I take the opportunity to say to all the men in the church, men, stop being in the background. I thank God that women are spiritual. I thank God that there are women intercessors. I thank God that women are hungry for God. But every man is meant to be a priest before God. And you're meant to rise up and cover your wife, cover your family, and bring divine order back into the house. Absolutely. We have entered into a Christian culture that almost deems that it's the woman's place to be more spiritual. Men aren't. And I'm not trying to pit one against the other. One is more spiritual than the other. No, I'm talking about divine order God expected and uh, uh, God expected and ordained for Adam to cover his wife and protect his wife and look out for her. It's interesting that that's the way God ordained it. And what's interesting in all the marriage counseling I've done over the years and the things that God's revealed to me, what's interesting is that when you talk to women, the way they identify love is by how much they feel safe and protected. And when a man makes them feel safe and protected, they feel loved, you see. 
Well, God ordained for man to be the covering, and he wasn't. Now, women, don't stop being spiritual giants. We just want men to be spiritual giants as well. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. We're not pitting one against the other. But we're saying the devil wants to repeat what he repeated in the Garden of Eden. And that's where Adam just stood there like a slouch and didn't take the authority and didn't rise up. And he didn't fulfill his godly calling. And all the men said, Amen. And all the men said, I'm standing up, Pastor. Gee, I'm glad you came today. You're about the only guy I heard. I want every man in this house to stand up right now. Come on, stand up. And I want you to repeat after me. It is my God-given right and my privilege and my honor to be a spiritual giant. And I will connect with God. And I will protect my family. In Jesus' name. Amen. After the fall, everything went haywire. And God pronounced a curse. He said, here's the consequences to what you just did. I created an environment where there was a divine order and you deliberately brought disorder to divine order. I want to point something out, and I hope time stays with me, that I point out in Bible college. I'm going to tell you that this class, it's uh, six weeks on chain of command, and it routinely is voted as one of the most favorite classes in the course because how it readjusts everybody's thinking. We're, we're, you're doing it. Is it true? You, I heard you say yes. You, you did it. Chrissy, I know you put it down as one of your most appreciated classes because it totally reorders our thinking. It is absolutely foundational. We don't realize how many problems we allow into our lives because we don't understand and we don't define or discern the principles of God's divine order. But I want to show you something. I'm going to take a minute to do this. So here's God. Here's man. The earth is unto him and everything in the earth, the birds in the air, the fish in the sea, the animals that creep on the ground, and then the biggest creep, Lucifer, the kingdom of darkness, is under even the earth. So you got God, then you have man, then you have the earth and everything in the earth, and then you have everything under the earth, all under man's authority. Now watch this. That's divine order. So what does Lucifer do? He comes and he masquerades as a serpent, an animal in the earth under Adam's authority. Challenges him to eat a fruit that he's not allowed to eat, only one fruit. The vegetation kingdom that's part of the earth. And instead of going to Adam, he addresses his conversation to Eve. So what you're seeing is his very act of seducing Adam is the process of turning divine order upside down. 
So he replicates the image of a serpent, takes the fruit of the ground that represented the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He goes to the woman, and here's Adam listening, watching, standing by, and doesn't say one word to the enemy. Men, in this church... You need to know who you are in Jesus Christ and you need to speak to the enemy and keep him out of your house. You need to tell that devil to go back to hell. You need to rebuke him. Don't give me this malarkey. Oh, well, my wife's the spiritual one. That's an incrimination against you. You're meant to be just as spiritual as she is. And every one of us men need to stand up and take our God-given right and our responsibility. Don't shake off your responsibility. It is your responsibility to make sure that your children grow up in the ways of God. Don't put that responsibility on the church. We will have excellent programs in children's church. We will have excellent programs in the nursery. But dads, you need to set the atmosphere in your home. You need to set divine order in your house. You need to call the shots and say, as a family, we are going to serve the Lord. I want to hear an amen from everybody. If you want to keep the devil out of your house, it's not by getting a promotion at work and earning more money. It's by getting a promotion by reading the word of God and understanding he has raised you up to heavenly places and you're meant to rule and reign in Jesus' name. Absolutely. And so we have here Adam under the word of God now Adam is listening to the word of Lucifer who's under his feet through a serpent who is an animal from the animal kingdom in the earth to eat a fruit from the vegetation kingdom in the earth. And he's listening to the suggestion from his wife who he is responsible to cover. And the ultimate is do all of this and disobey the Godhead. And the moment Lucifer brought a reversal of God's divine order, and the moment Adam submitted, it to, submitted to it, he gave it a check mark. He gave it his approval, and he said, it's okay. And at that point, man fell from his position because the enemy stole his... Adam's authority. In fact, he didn't steal it. He tricked him, but Adam surrendered it. You remember when Lucifer took uh, Jesus to a mountaintop and he showed him the kingdoms of the world. He said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you this. Go home and read it. It says, for it has been given to me. God didn't give it to him. God gave it to the first Adam. But the first Adam gave it to the kingdom of darkness. Hello? When we don't stand up as men, when we don't stand up as women and stick to the word of God, we allow demonic disorder to come into our lives.
truth. Sometimes truth will rattle us. Sometimes truth will upset us. But do you know that if truth upsets us, truth is always in God's divine order. And if the truth is upsetting us, then there are areas of demonic disorder in our lives. Turn to somebody and say, man, he got me. And I'm not trying to get anyone. I'm trying to get us all out of the devil's schemes so that we live victorious in Jesus' name. Are you with me? Absolutely. So God says to Adam, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you that you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you and through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Is that all the way down to verse 19, Tony? There's a bit more, thank you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Isn't it interesting when God put Adam in the garden, he said, it'll produce fruit for you. It'll be watered on its own and it'll just blossom fruit and you're there to take it and eat it and enjoy it. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God put some plants there that were pleasing to the eye and others that were good for food. God's all about enjoyment. God's all about artistic creativity. God's all about pampering us. He put plants there that were just gorgeous to look at. You couldn't eat them, but man, they were beautiful. And then he put other plants there that were edible. The earth in God's divine order was meant to serve man. But now in the fall, man is serving the earth. Do you know that we are subject to the weather? A few drops of rain and people won't come to church. We are subject to the weather. We're entering what they call the hurricane season. We are subject to the heat. We are subject to freezing temperatures. One moment we're scorched. Another moment we're freezing. Another part of the world they're freezing. Uh, we are subject to the wind. We are subject to the waves. How many lives get lost on the waves? Jesus, the last Adam, came from a garden that was still in God's divine order. And so when Jesus came to a world of disorder, he instated God's divine order when he was in the fishing boat with the disciples and he spoke to the wind and he spoke to the waves. Not because he's God, because he's the last Adam and God sent him to show us how it was meant to be. That's why Jesus said, the things I do, you will do also. Why? Because I am going to redeem you. You're going to be born again into me. I have come to bring divine order. The curse is that man now is subject to the earth. And we toil for food. We toil to create a living and it is laborious. And God said, from the sweat of your brow and from the earth you will return since you were taken from it. For dust you are and to the dust you will return. 
Isn't it interesting that before Adam and Eve were created and before Lucifer fell, he was in charge in the Garden of Eden. He was a guardian cherub on the holy mountain. And when he perverted God's divine order, he too became subject to the earth and was in the belly of the earth. Isn't it interesting that after the fall of man, prior, there was no death. And there would never have been a region in Sheol for humanity. God put them on the earth as a crowning glory. You see, what you submit yourself to, it will be your master. And when we step out of God's divine order, ungodly things will start to master us. Somebody say amen. amen. But when we stay in God's divine order, God's divine order will protect us and it will bless us. Amen. And so the very ground that was meant to offer up food and life and enjoyment became the very ground that now man had to work in. And the wind works against us. The waves work against us. Earthquakes. God, science wants to tell you that that's just part of this planet in its evolving state. No. In divine order, there was no earthquakes. There were no volcanoes. There were no tsunamis. The Bible tells us that the earth is groaning because it's been subjected to a curse. And it is groaning in anxious expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. You see, when Jesus came and he cried out, it is finished, he took the crown of thorns. Man has been subject to the earth. And he is cursed and poverty and strife and striving will be his lot. Do you know who put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head? Do you know who did it? Physically, yeah, the Roman guards put it on his head. Spiritually, they were inspired by demons. It was their statement of saying, even the earth that you once governed is now Lord over you. You see, on the cross, they thought they had beat Jesus. On the cross, they thought, we got rid of this Messiah. Paul says in Corinthians, if the rulers of this world, if the principalities had a known what was going to happen, they never would have crucified Jesus Christ. Because in crucifying him, he overpowered them. And in rising up, anyone who is born again into him changes lineage from the old Adam to the new Adam. Hallelujah. And under the new Adam, we become like him. The same way we bore the likeness of the old Adam and we had a sinful nature, when we get born again, we bear the likeness of the last Adam. Oh, let me think about this. And God said, let us create man in our image. Church, do you see it? Do you get it? God has an eternal purpose, and you're part of that eternal purpose. God has a destiny, and you're part of that destiny, and you're not meant to be defeated. You're not meant to be downtrodden. You're not meant to be a slave. You're not meant to be a victim. You're not meant to be beat up. No, 
Jesus Christ came to break the curse of the first fall and to reinstate us into our original purpose and our destiny. Come on, someone get excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was necessary that the curse that God said was now unleashed on man. It was necessary. Demons didn't even know what they were doing. They thought they were mocking the Christ and pointing out that even the earth is Lord over you, Mr. Messiah. But what they didn't know was that they needed to do that because the moment that first thorn pierced his skin and the blood of the Redeemer touched it, it broke the curse. <laughs> I don't care if you were born black. I don't care if you were born brown. I don't care if you were born Italian. I don't care if you were born Irish. The prejudice of the world is a lie from the pit of hell. Anything that's meant to carry the glory of God, Satan will always try to chew it up and spit it out. You and I are sons of God, irrespective of culture, irrespective of language, irrespective of color, and irrespective of money. I am bought with the blood of Jesus, and I have been set free from the curse of the world. Yes. Amen. This is the third place that Jesus shed his blood. The first place was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he battled the temptation that Adam went through. And he said, God, my flesh is telling me not to submit to your word. Crucifixion's a hard thing. If it's possible to save humanity without me being crucified and whipped and flogged and punched and then pulling my beard out with their hands, if there's another way, have at it. God, I know the only way I can undo the curse of the first Adam is to be the last Adam who made a difference. And so in that garden, he broke the power of the sinful nature as he sweat drops of blood. As he's wrestling with the flesh, he redeemed us from the curse of a sinful nature. And today we are partakers of a divine nature. Amen. When they whipped his back and made it a bloody mess, the prophet prophesied hundreds of years beforehand that by his stripes, every scourge, every infliction on that physical body, that when his blood was taken out of its purpose and it's covering its back in a way that it wasn't ordained to do, the blood of Jesus sets us free from every ailment, every infirmity, every sickness. He has broken the curse of sickness and he has set us free and allowed healing to be our right. When they put that crown of thorns on his head, the curse of man being subservient to the earth. You know, last week I talked about what the real meaning of the Sabbath is. It's a principle. We start from a place where it's finished. We start from a place of faith. God's already got my back. Everything I'll ever need, everything I'll ever want. 
In Psalm 95, he said of Israel, they will never enter my rest. How can that be if they keep the Sabbath and have been keeping the Sabbath for the last 2,000 years? If the Sabbath is a day, then God is wrong. But God created the Sabbath. So maybe God's right. And the Sabbath isn't so much a day, but a principle. You see, when Jesus' disciples were walking through a field with Jesus, and he's talking to them, they're casually uh, conversing the things of God, and they pick an ear of corn. Peter picks an ear of corn. John picks an ear of corn, and they start peeling, and they start eating it. And the Pharisees come and said, You worked. You just worked. This is a Sabbath. This is a Sabbath. You toiled the word tells us, the Lord tells us that man must rest on the Sabbath. And Jesus turned around and said, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. The curse of the earth makes us subject to the earth, but the freedom of the cross makes the earth subject to us. So when Jesus was nailed on the cross, he shouted, it is finished, because he had rendered powerless every curse that came on humanity for anyone who's born again. Listen, you're not destined to live in poverty. You're not destined to be pulling your hair out and where am I going to find the money to pay the next bill? No, promotion comes from the Lord and promotion is for his sons and his daughters. Don't let the world convince you that you'll always be a wannabe. No, I am that I am, says my father, and I am created in his likeness. I am not a wannabe. I am not a should have been. I am not a gonna be. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. As Christians, we've got to get a revolution in our thinking. There's too much stinking religious lies that were born from the pit of hell in the minds of born-again Christians. We need to get back to the Word and understand that He created the earth for us, and He's not finished yet. He's going to come back, and He's going to conquer death, and He's going to re establish in the restoration of all things that new Jerusalem's coming down out of heaven and you and I will be rulers Paul says this in Romans we rule and we reign in this life with Christ Jesus you're not meant to be the foot you're not meant to be the tail you're not meant to be under the circumstances of the world. You have been raised up with Jesus. Where are you sitting right now? In heavenly places. You know what that means? The earth and all of its disorder and all of its confusion is meant to be under you. When the enemy wants to keep you in poverty, when the enemy wants to keep you in bondage, when the enemy wants to keep throwing trouble at you so that you feel like you can never get up, it's time for you to get up and shout and say, Devil, it is finished by the blood of Jesus. It is finished.
and I am set free. Would you stand with me? Some people in Christianity have perpetrated the concept that poverty is next to godliness. No, it isn't. And some people have perpetrated the idea that the poorer you are, the happier you'll be. That's subjective. If you don't have enough money to put a roof over your head and to pay your bills, it's a little bit hard to be happy. Now, I am not advocating that wealth will make you happy because some of the most miserable, miserable people are some of the wealthiest people. It's subjective. But don't tell me scripturally that God wants us to be poor because that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Now, if you want to be rich because being rich is the most important to you, thing to you and you want all the things of the world, your heart's in the wrong place. Don't let that be your treasure. Let the things of God be your treasure. But any religious thinking in your head that says, well, God's going to keep you poor. God doesn't want you to be satisfied. God doesn't. That is contrary to everything we know about creation. He created us to be the crowning jewel on earth. And he created the earth to serve us. You are not a slave. You were slave in the kingdom of darkness. But you are sons of God. And if that's not enough, David... The Bible doesn't just tell me that he seats me in heavenly places. The Bible says he makes me a co-heir together with Jesus Christ. A co-heir. Hey, we're in this together. I look at Jesus sometimes and I say, thank you, big brother. We're partners. And everything that's coming to you is coming to me. The only thing that you have that I don't have is the name that is above every name. And I am so glad he's the title holder. Can I let you in on a little secret? Don't tell anyone. This is just between me and you and the whole internet. If man's destiny relied on me, not sinning like the first Adam, we were all toast. In fact, one, if my future success relied on me not sinning and never giving the devil a place, we're toast. But because we're born again into this last Adam, and he's the title holder, even when I slip up, the title holder still holds the title. And when I repent and I come to him, instead of running from him, he washes me up, cleans me up, and picks me up. He says, come on, your destiny is to be seated in this seat with me. I'm the head, you're the body. You're meant to rule and reign in life with Jesus Christ. Is that good news? Maybe that's why the Bible says, go and preach the good news. It is great news. I want you to believe this in your heart. 
I want you to be convinced from Scripture. You're not meant to be defeated. You're not meant to be bound in poverty. Never pay my bills. No, God's name is Jehovah Jireh. I'm the Lord your provider. If you can never pay your bills, how is God being the God who provides? No, he wants you to share in his blessings. We sang the blessing song. Pastor Steve, I know I'm going to really throw things out of order here. Where are you, Pastor Steve? Do you think we could get the whole team up the front and we're going to let the church go as you guys are praying the blessing song over them? I want you to hear it. I want you to see it. I want you to believe it. Poverty. To be in lack, to be in want, to be desperate is not God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is to break the curse that came on humanity. Do you believe that? I hope I'm wrong, but by the look on a couple of faces, I'm starting to think that you want to be poor. Turn to somebody and say, I want everything Jesus died for. You know, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, you know what he taught us to say? Give us this day my daily bread. Right? Daily bread. When you have to pay your electricity, do you need some daily bread to pay your electricity? When you got to feed your kids, do you need some daily bread to f- feed your kids or to clothe your kids or to prepare to send them to college one day? You see, this is our daily bread. The only people who get bread and water are prisoners. And here in America, prisoners get more than most American citizens. Okay, they're entitled to more rights. Bread and water used to be something that just prisoners got. Jesus didn't say, God, give me my bread and water. He said, give me my daily bread. Everything I need, everything I will have service of or have need for, I thank you. You are my provider in Jesus' name. If you grew up in a religious environment and always felt like having more than enough was wrong I'm not talking about I've got to become the richest man in the world no nor am I talking about being envious of them or judging them every one of us needs to take care of our own lives but know this God wants your life to be a blessed life not a cursed life yeah wealth isn't counted in dollars absolutely I consider myself a wealthy man. Today I can stand here and say all three of my children love Jesus passionately. You can't get more wealthy than that. That is the greatest wealth. He has restored my home, restored my life. I am a wealthy man. I am a blessed man. But by the same token, I don't have to live from paycheck to paycheck. The curse is broken. He wants to prosper you. Learn the ways of God and live according to the ways of God so you keep the enemy under your control. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to sing this. You can stay and worship. You could turn around and greet someone.